We would like to dedicate the first official episode of Weird Side Podcast to Captain O.C. Miller. Gone way too soon, too abruptly. We love and miss you like crazy, O.C. We love and miss you, man. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. You can't run, you can't hide. Take a walk on the weird side, it goes bump in the night. Take a walk on the weird side, you can't trust the living, you can't kill the dead, you can't stop the voice of the inside. You can't run, you can't hide. Take a walk on the weird side. Well, welcome back, weirdos. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Hannah. And I'm Taylor. And we are Weird Weird Side Side Podcast. Podcast. So, you've made it back already. That must be a good sign, right? Oh, I think it is. No, I hope hope it is, too. Mm -hmm. So, today is our first official episode that we will be doing together. And today, we will be discussing Robert the Doll and Carl Tanzler. But before we jump into our topics today, we wanted to take a few moments to make a couple of announcements, and we also wanted to give some shout-outs to some very important people who have helped us get our podcast going. So, just to begin, um, I wanted to raise awareness for something that's going on in our community right now. Uh, I don't know her personally, but my mom goes to school with her, and she is a nursing student in the LPN program right alongside with my mom. So my mom is the one who told me about this person and what's going on. But um, unfortunately, we have a young mother, a single mother, who recently has lost her infant son. Um, I'm not a parent myself yet, and I just, I can't relate to what that must be like, but I do know that I don't, think any parent should ever have to bury their own child and especially a single mother at that I mean it's bad enough for any parent but especially one who's doing everything on her own and she's I think she went to school with my husband I don't know if they went to school around the same time but she's I think around our age and we're in our mid-20s so I just it's just extra gut-wrenching to me Um, But her friend made a GoFundMe campaign, um, which I will post the link on in the description. Um, The campaign is called uh, Calvin Strong. And basically, her friend is just raising funds for this young mom who, again, like I said, is a single mother and is going to nursing school full time. Um, Just, you know, money doesn't bring back any person that you've lost but if you have some help financially you can feel a little bit of a burden being lifted off your shoulders as far as being you know stressed and going back to work or taking time off that you need so um it just it really makes me feel so sad for for her and just what happened so anyway um like I said I will post the description in our um link description for the episode but GoFundMe Calvin Strong by Whitney Ratcliffe is the one that you want to look out for. So, um, on a lighter note, I did want to go ahead and do a disclaimer that, um, I didn't tell you this actually, but today I listened to our podcast with earbuds on to see what the audio quality is like, Mm -hmm. and it comes in a little weird, um, 
like you can hear me talk more on the left side and you on the right side, which is basically how we're recording yeah. right now. <laughs> That's really how we're sitting right now. So. But um, just bear with us, folks. You're probably going to enjoy listening better, not on earbuds, even though, you know, you can still hear fine. Um, until we can get uh, the technicalities worked out on our podcast a little bit better, um, just bear with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, just wanted to point that out. Uh, we want to do some special uh, shout outs, like Hannah said earlier. To some people that helped us get this uh, show off the ground and going. Uh, to uh, Derek from the Steak and Sauce podcast. What an amazing guy, I must say. I knew him before uh, we worked together, and he is an amazing guy. He's really been trying to help us out. And go check us out. We're going to be on his page, on his podcast, uh, later this week. Yeah, actually, actually Saturday. We'll be, he'll be uh, having us be guests on his show, and we're going to talk about horror films, mm-hmm. a little bit of horror history, and we are personally very excited. And, and I'm also sorry to everyone out there if I sound really weird. My allergies uh, are really bad this time of year, so if you ever hear like a, a slight sniffle, uh, I apologize. I cannot help it. <laughs> oh, poor baby. Yeah, yeah but Derek... Um, he was, might have been even the first person that we seriously reached out to for, you know, just advice on starting a podcast. And I got to say, since that moment we reached out to him, uh, he's just been nothing but supportive. And um, we just really appreciate his encouragement, support. And like I said, for his him to even um, have an episode where we come on and talk about our podcast just a bit and talk about horror films, which is like our favorite topic ever. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Big shout out again, Derek Nolan, Steak and Sauce Podcast. Um, the next person that we want to give a shout out to is my good friend and musician, Icarus Unholy. I hope I said his name right. I asked him to help me make sure I didn't say it wrong. It sounded good to me. I think it did. Thank you. Um, great guy, talented musician. I've known him for years and I'm just very privileged to have been able to listen to his music from like the moment I met him until like now and just how it's changed evolved but one constant thing about his stuff though it's always been freaking awesome the dude rocks I mean you shot him that message asking him uh we just gave him the name of yeah. our podcast and he came up with that and how short of time like it was literally less than 24 hours I just you know I was telling Taylor you know I want to I'd love to have our own you know podcast theme and I was like, but I, I have a really good friend that he would be awesome for this. And he, he does things like this. Let me just shoot him a message. And all I did was message him. And I just said, hey, you know, we're starting up a podcast. Uh, these are the topics that it's going to be primarily about. I'm kind of looking for this kind of vibe to the to the theme. And then he wrote back and he's like, yeah, I think I can help you out. What's the name of your podcast? And told him what the name was. And boom, less than 24 hours, he came up with that masterpiece. I thought it, I, I, it rocks. It fits everything we like, and that guy is just talented. I'm a, I mean, it's amazing. He is. Um, I don't know if he's got any social media for um, like officially outside of personally, but um, Icarus Unholy. So I will be sure to, um, if I have any links to share, I will put that also in the description, and we'll also put some uh, a link out there for Steak and Sauce podcast from Derek. Um, yeah. Uh, also, a special thank you to our good friends Logan, Logan and, and Meredith, Meredith. Uh, for the um, designing our logos. Designing for us. our logos, they both worked very hard on it. They did. Um, so originally, it is Mer- Meredith's design. Uh, she was the first person that I originally thought of because, again, I've known Meredith since I was in eighth grade. She is my sister, um, but she's also very talented. 
and she she would roll her eyes at me, but I call her an artist because she really does make art. But I've always loved her style. So when we were talking about starting our podcast and basically that it's going to be weird and creepy, uh, she was the first person I thought of. Love you, Mary. The first person that I thought of um, that could help us out with that kind of vibe. Um, so anyway, we kind of told her, again, you know, what our podcast is going to be, uh, what our name is, and she came up with some sketches for rough drafts, and I saw the draft that she made for the logo that we chose, and I was like, yes, this is it, this is what we're looking for. Um, and then I showed Taylor, mm-hmm. Taylor was completely on board with it, and yeah, uh, so she did a watercolor of our logo, which we have that listed as some of our um, profile pictures for our, I believe I made that our profile picture on our YouTube page and our Gmail account. Um, And then Logan, he was awesome too. Well, he is awesome. Everybody in here is awesome that we're talking about, but Mm -hmm. he wanted to help us out as well. So he also does logos himself. He does a lot of gaming logos, but... We told him that we really liked Meredith's design, and that's the logo that we're going for. Um, And then he did his own kind of spin on it, and the end result is what our logo is now. Mm -hmm. Also, not only is he good at uh, doing game designs, um, he's also a handsome devil, I must say. I've had the privilege (laughs) to work with him for over a year now, and I can't thank him enough. And everybody is is absolutely handsome devils that have been helping us out with that. So from me and Hannah, both, it means a lot that everybody's been helping us out with that. Yeah. And it really does really mean the world to us. Yes. Um, I will say, you know, uh, some people have asked about, you know, how we have done this, like how we started a podcast and how to do it. stuff. And I will go ahead and just tell you straight up, having people to help you out, like I have no shame in admitting, like, we needed help. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're just very blessed that we have had a large group of friends who, you know, have each have expertise in things that um, we were needing help with. And, yeah. So for Logan, as I said earlier, he does his own. He does mostly gaming logos. But you can find him on Discord at LemonDrop808. Um, and, again, his name is Logan. And... And his Twitch is actually the same thing as well. I was so, I was like, I didn't say it, but I was ready for you to like lean over and say, I didn't know what this you logo could was. You just ask me what that was. That's Twitch. <laughs> I don't know what that logo was. <laughs> you don't know. I wouldn't say that out loud. Oops. Too late. Just like that one time you told me not to go in GameStop and ask that one question. Oh, uh, we're not, we're not starting that. I'm not going to throw myself under the bus like that. Um, if you hear some barking in the background, apologies. Um, our dogs are upstairs, but they, they do love to bark at, like, literally anything. So if you catch some background, uh, apologies. Like I said, we're just starting off with all this, so we're still learning acoustics and location of filming and all that stuff. Um, and then for Meredith, you can find her on Twitter at Flesh Sock. That's F-L-E-S-H-S-O-C-K. She occasionally from time to time will post little sketches and stuff that she does and they are quite creepy and quite fabulous so but now that we have given our official shout outs and thank yous to all the people who have helped to get our podcast started we'll go ahead and get started on robert the doll and carl tanzler so we'll be starting first with robert the doll um throughout uh our time talking about robert for those of you who know me 
uh, know that I am a massive bookworm. Been that way basically since crib days. Uh, I love to read. Um, Just something. It's just who I am. Just like I'm a horror nerd. I'm a horror geek. That's who I am. But that being said, as as we discuss Robert, I will be reading throughout um, some experts from a recommended reading uh, for Robert the Doll. The book is called Robert the Doll, The True Biography of Key West Haunted Doll by David L. Sloan. So, to start off, what is Robert? Who is Robert? Robert is arguably the most haunted doll in the country. Other than, I feel like Annabelle is more well-known, but I feel like that's because of the um, Conjuring Conjuring films. That's why she's more well-known. Robert is also up there, and... uh, we also have experience with Robert as well. That's why we wanted to tackle him first. Yes. Um, and by the way, I just want to point out, too, that there have been some very B-rated horror films done about Robert the Doll. Don't waste your time trying to watch those to figure out who Robert is, because those are all crap. No offense. I Again, we're horror fans, but B-rated horror is, uh, let's just face it, um, a lot of it sucks. So... I think the real uh, the real Robert is way more terrifying than those movies oh, are. Yeah. Like because that's the other thing. I mean, and the same thing could be said for Conjuring with Annabelle. But the Robert design in these B rated movies looks nothing like Robert well, in real life. I think Annabelle got a little bit more time and care uh, put into her movies than oh, definitely I, Robert did. Uh, you and know, money and money. money is the biggest one. But yeah, just like um, with Annabelle in real life, the Annabelle portrayed in the films, which by the way, she is horrifying looking in the films, but in real life, she's a raggedy and all, you know, a lot of people don't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, she's actually like, a, I, I know a lot of people that had raggedy and dolls and they didn't know that's what Annabelle was. Yeah. It's, it's mind blowing, but that just shows like the influence of film and, oh, yeah. well, I mean, a ragged and doll coming down the hall at you probably wouldn't be as terrifying as True. what they made Annabelle really look like. True. So. True. I mean, either way, I would be scared, but yeah, I agree with you. The Annabelle in the films, like, it's, it's, she's scarier looking. Oh, definitely. So, um, Robert the Doll was created approximately 1904. Um, there's still, I think, some debate on when exactly he was created, but that seems to be the most common, uh, year that I've seen is 1904. He was originally crafted as a clown. Um, There is a lot, again, a lot of different ideas on who or what Robert was designed into. But um, that is one of the things that I read about in my book. So Uh, he looks like a sailor to me. He does look like a sailor. But I heard like his origins, he was supposed to be crafted as a clown. Hmm. Um, He was suspected to be given as a family gift. Cursed with voodoo by an angry servant close to the family that Robert came to. Mm-hmm. Um, and the family member that was related to the servant was Eugene's mom. Which would be um, the little boy who Robert attaches to his mother. Um, so, let me see if I can find here some different, different ideas of who... Robert was designed or where he came from and what he is um, in this book it says uh, is Robert the spirit of a deceased child born of William and Emmeline Abbott I hope I pronounced everything right or a child born of an affair between Thomas Otto and Emmeline Abbott could this child be the quote black girl associated with the Otto family mentioned in early newspaper articles 
Did Emmeline use voodoo as a way to remain close to her only child by trapping its spirit in the doll? Was Eugene attached to the doll because it contained the spirit of his half-brother or sister or a childhood playmate? So as you can see, there's a lot of different ideas about where Robert came from. But I think one thing that we can all agree on is that he's creepy. Oh, that's an understatement. (laughs) There is a... Robert was... like. I mean, regardless of what the real truth is, like, his origins are dark. Mm, Oh, yeah. They come... Yeah, they come from something dark. I feel like everything that has a dark past to it, I mean, they have multiple um, origins. Because I think that that's just like a a mysterious thing about them. Makes them even more scary is like you don't know where they – obviously we know where he's from, but we don't know why he was made. We don't know exactly how. Like not exactly why. Like they're like a red just a – few minutes ago or just a few seconds ago there's a lot of different ideas of where robert came from oh yeah but you know i think you know from my own opinion just from my readings and what i've studied from robert Mm -hmm. i do believe the theory about voodoo was involved voodoo Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um and i think he was it was like the the very first thing i had said was the the doll was given you know in spite of eugene's mother Mm mm-hmm so, yeah. Uh, do you think Dr. Facilier had something to do with that? He very well could have. He very have. well could have. Yeah, but you know Disney, they're not going to be honest about yeah. things. It's only going to shed light to something positive. It's not going to talk about the dark history, the dark uh, past. But here on Weir Side, that's what we do, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, basically, Robert was a replica of six-year-old Eugene. Um, he was given to... so. Robert was given to the family for Eugene, which was uh, the little boy in the family. Um, Any mishaps, essentially, you know, Robert the doll and little Eugene were like peanut butter and jelly. They were very close. Always together. The doll, Robert came into the the family and Eugene like attached on him. And like I just said, he was a replica of Eugene or, you know, given to look that way. Mm-hmm. So a six-year-old little boy, yeah, he's going to be excited. He's going to be attached. Um, but basically, anytime there were any mishaps at all, Robert was to blame. Anytime uh, Eugene would be, you know, Eugene, did you do that? You know, suspected of doing something. Robert did it. Robert would always get, be the blame. And, you know, coming from a little kid. I mean, that's be, typical. Yeah, you're going to be like, okay, obviously they don't want to own up to it. Of course, it was some made-up thing, and they're not going to be honest about it. Like, a you know, typical kid. But he said that pretty frequently, and it was pretty constant. He always said that. Um, it was always Robert's fault. Um, and here I am going back to my book real quick to read some more about that. Um, so this was quoted from the owner of Robert at one point and the artist's house from 1974 to 1980. Um, he says... Excuse me. Jean had a doll that people said was haunted. It was made as an effigy of him when he was a five-year-old boy. Sorry, I just told you six. But five to six, we'll go with that. It was his doll. It was supposed to have some magical property. A lot of people feel that way about it. So again, even though there's a few different ideas about Robert, I think that's one that's pretty universal people agree on. Robert was just dark. People could sense it. Um... And from another person in this book, Miss Nancy Taswell, 
says, The story I heard was that Gene Otto, which is little Eugene, had a doll when he was a little boy that was his mirror image. It was supposedly made to look like Gene. It wore the same clothes. I've seen it. It had several outfits, supposedly the same outfits that Gene had when he was a little boy. All the bad things that Gene did were blamed on the doll, so that the doll took on all the kind of negative karma of Gene as he was growing up. He was a bad doll. Later on, when things happened in the house, it was supposedly the spirit of the doll. Gene would always say he hadn't done it. The doll had done it. Everything that was negative was put onto the doll. And then another um, quote I'll be reading to you was from Robert's Caretaker from 1974 through 1994. Miss Myrtle Reuter. Hopefully, again, I said her name right. She says, It's a large doll, as big as a child. I don't know if it was made in the image of Jean because I never knew him as a child. It has hair on it like a real child. It has buttons for eyes. It has different kinds of clothes. It was in a pixie outfit when I got it. People around Key West don't like the doll. And I think that's a pretty strong statement. Right oh, there. that's a very strong statement right there. Yeah. So, um... So basically, we talked about how Robert was designed, and we talked a little bit about how he got introduced into the family. And but besides being a doll, what is Robert? Well, I think a lot of people can all agree Robert is tied into the paranormal. Oh, for sure. I don't. Again, there's a lot of um, discussion. And some ideas about how exactly he is supernatural. But I think it's pretty confident we can say that he's he's paranormal. Um, so, throughout childhood, like we said earlier, Robert was blamed for everything bad that happened. Um, but, you know, you have a little boy attached to a doll like that. What happens when he grows up? What well, happens? Well, usually I think most kids outgrow their doll. I mean, not everyone, but, you know, most of the time now they outgrow yeah. those things. And, you know, they might leave them, I don't know, upstairs in a room or something. And they might just get lost or sold. And, you know, they I, most I'd say most kids outgrow them. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty fair. But I, I think that is fair. What did happen to Robert once uh, he got older? Well, let's just say that uh, little Eugene mm -hmm. grew up and... He did not lose his attachment to Robert. He did not lose his attachment to Robert? No. And that made it very difficult when he, you know, found, you know, his wife and got married. And his wife hated that doll. And he, so finally. Do, do you think he brought out Eugene on the first date? Man, I, <laughs> maybe not because I think she would have, like, immediately had some red flags. Like, there is something not right here. This is weird. Uh,. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out now. Well, you said wife, so obviously, uh, she married him, so obviously it must yeah. not have been that big of a deal. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, I don't think Robert was introduced off the bat, but I think once it, their relationship got to a certain point, I think then he was introduced. Mm. So, but finally, you know, they get married, and this woman, understandably, is like, this is a very weird attachment that this grown man has to this doll. She finally put her foot down and was like, "You're gonna have to do something with this doll." And, of course, little Eugene, who's now an adult Eugene, is not going to be like, okay, honey, I'll just go throw him out in the curb. No. Um, what ended up happening to Robert, he was just thrown up in the attic. I think that's fair. I mean, he obviously had some personal attachments to the doll, and I feel like it would be kind of rude for like, get rid of that thing. So 
Right. I think that was a fair assessment. You know, just, let's just put it in the attic. We won't have to look at it. I get to keep it. Everybody's happy. Right. That's, that's fair. Yeah. But um, Robert did not like that. Oh, Robert didn't like that? No. So at this point, you might be kind of wondering, okay, so like... We know that Robert has a dark history. It's, it's said that he's paranormal. He has an attack. You know, this little boy's attached to him. But we haven't really gone over yet instances of Robert doing anything. Mm-hmm. Well, now would be a good time to tell you that Robert didn't like being thrown up in the attic. So he would cause some mischief up in the attic. How could he do that? He's just a doll, right? He's just a doll. Is he? Well, uh, supposedly... Once he was thrown in the attic, oftentimes they heard running footsteps upstairs in the attic. Like, can you just imagine being at home and then, like, you know that you threw a creepy doll up in the attic? Well, well you got to remember to Eugene, he's not creepy. Like, right. this doll was made to look like him was, you know, I don't think to Eugene it was creepy. Now, obviously, to the wife, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. But to him, it, it was sentimental. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say creepy. But you know, like, even so, like, I, you know, like, dolls are not supposed to be alive. So. Obviously. Right. So, like, if I was little Eugene and I got this doll and I fell in love with it, but then I saw that it started to move on its own, talk on its own, do things on its own. I, I really don't know what I would do, but I would know that that's not normal. Well, one thing's for sure. I don't know about you, but when you're saying all that, you know what the first thing that popped into my head was? What? Child's play. Yes. Um, by the way, that's actually a great thing to point out. Although I need to research more into this, I'm pretty sure that um, Robert may have had some influence on the Child's Play films. He might have, because that does sound exactly just like Child's Play. Um, because voodoo with Robert, voodoo with Chucky. I mean, that's how you start off with both of them off the bat. And all these bad things happen, and the little boy's like, oh, yeah. you know, Chucky or Robbie, uh, Robbie, <laughs> Robert uh, did it. Robbie Gray? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Robert did it. Right. And then they both are attached to little boys. Yeah. Um, Very creepy stuff to think about. Um, Anyway, so that's how Robert's been. And then also, I think I have saw this in a documentary, too. Not only were the footsteps up in the attic, but also little kids and stuff when they'd come home from school or even maybe just anybody walking past the house would see Robert sitting up in the window in the attic and Robert would just stare down at them. Ooh. Yeah. Again, these are, you know, alleged. Can you imagine walking down the the street like uh, after you got out of school and you looked up and someone's life-size doll is staring at you outside of a window? I, I think that I would probably poop my pants just you a little poop bit your pants really yeah really i just kind of look at him go who plays with dolls <laughs> no i'm just kidding but see like for me when i was younger i always i, like, I thought that dolls were terrifying and that probably really? I, yeah i did um I, I think i grew out of it a little bit but i used to love like my favorite subgenre of horror was always like killer doll stuff when i was the yeah when i was the a, a lot younger i just don't get it like they're not scary to me you see, I just, I think maybe two, like, also another um, doll that really freaked me out when I was a kid was the little doll in Tales from the Hood. That, that was my, that still is my favorite short story in that movie, but, like, I think it has to do with little dolls like that. They can just, like, slice the back of your heel and get your Achilles tendon. You're going down. Like, you're immediately going to be on their level because you can't walk. But there's no realism in that. You know why? Because, for example, I'm a... Six foot three, two hundred pound man. 
what is a little one foot dog going to do to me? Yeah, he might slice my foot, but I could just rip its head off. It's not that big a deal. You have every advantage on these things. What's scary about it? I mean, personally, me, I don't want a little killer doll up in my face. No, hold on. Face. No, I don't mean that towards Robert because Robert is a whole completely yeah, different Yeah, we're kind of getting off topic a little bit, but Robert is a lot bigger than this little doll that I'm oh, yeah. referring to in Tales from the Hood. And Robert the doll also, I think, is larger than Chucky from Child's Play. Yeah. But still, like, I, Robert, like I said, he was molded or he was designed to look just like a little five to six year old boy. So he's going to be the same height and everything. Oh, yeah. And like. Obviously, compared to an adult, a kid is, you're going to have an advantage, but like, you still have something that at least comes up to your kneecaps. There's there's something else about Robert that makes him more intimidating, but we'll get on to that here in a minute. So, after Eugene died, um, Robert, he still was left in that house. Um, it, the, no family members came to claim him. Uh, he was just left up there. So, obviously, the house went to other owners after Eugene's passing. Uh-huh. So, even people who have been in that house after Eugene died have reported creepy stuff about Robert. They No new owner until Robert's donation to the museum, which I'll get to that shortly, got rid of Robert. They kept him in there. But I'm going to be reading to you some of the things that people said who lived in that house afterwards about Robert. Um, reading from my book here. Two men who rented at the auto house in the mid-1970s had regular encounters with the doll. Their story was shared with the Sun Sentinel in 1985. Quote, there was, there was constant noise coming from the room. Sometimes it was like little kids laughing and other times like someone rummaging around. When it first started happening, we would go upstairs to check it out, but always found nothing. It was only after a half dozen times that we realized the doll had moved. At first we blamed each other and laughed it off as a practical joke. Sometimes the doll's head would be looking in a different direction. Other times its arms were propped up around the chair. And once its legs were even crossed. It started happening with greater frequency and we realized this was no joke. End quote. They invited Malcolm Ross to see the doll in his room. Ross felt as if he was entering some kind of strange force field. Quote, it was like a metal bar running down my back. At first, when we walked through the door, the look on his face was like a little boy being punished. It was as if he was asking himself, who are these people in my room and what are they going to do to me? End quote. Ross's friends told him Robert's backstory and pointed out the children's furniture. It was at this point that Malcolm noticed a change in the doll's expression, as if he was following the conversation. When one of the men made a comment about what an old fool Gene Otto must have been, Robert's expression turned to one of disdain. Quote, there was some kind of intelligence there. The doll was listening to us. End quote. Again, this is just someone's subjective account, but I believe him. When you first said, like, they, uh, you know, when Eugene died and I guess his wife moved away and they just left Robert up there, my first thought was, can you imagine being that family that bought that house and Dude. goes upstairs into the attic and finds this doll and for perspective everyone go look up a, go look up a picture of robert yeah. okay and then imagine walking upstairs because once you see him and you understand what he looks like and you see this thing sitting up there you'll totally understand what i'm talking about dude it's nightmare fuel oh yeah seeing him sit up there and hearing noises knowing that he's up there will really put it into perspective for you oh yeah so that was just one. I'm going to read to you another one, too, that's in my little book here. Um, 
this one's also a bit different. I, we heard us mention earlier that Robert is supernatural. So coming with that, there's a lot of supernatural things that follow that. Um, this part says, Science describes yellow fever as a viral disease transmitted by primates and certain species of mosquito. Now the reason I freaking hate mosquitoes. But at least one past tenant of the auto house claims he contracted yellow fever from the doll. Legends tell of a young man who rented a room at the auto house in mid-1970s, only to be tormented by the doll. Some accounts have Robert locking him in a room, cornering him, and sitting on his chest to hold him down, while others say the doll took over his brain, bringing him to the brink of insanity. Both legends claim the doll came, gave him yellow fever. Myrtle Reuter, hopefully I said her name right, shared a story from the time when she owned the home. And I think I quoted her earlier. You did. She says, quote, We went up north for the summer one year, and we left a man who was studying to be a lawyer to live in the house while we were gone. He wrote this fantastic story that the doll was voodoo and locked him up in the attic, and he caught yellow fever. I don't remember his name. To me, he was some kind of nut, end quote. This is the first known written claim of Robert causing illness, but it certainly is not the last. Stories about Robert continued to circulate the island through the 1980s, with an additional detail added to the tale. The doll was gone. A Miami Herald article indicated persistent rumors of his whereabouts, the most prevalent being that Robert had taken up residence on neighboring Stock Island. Other stories suggest the doll had left on his own, which, personally, I, don't, I question that a little bit. Um, no, nah, I don't believe that. I think he stayed put in that house. But anyway, oh, yeah. a Sunset Sentinel article that ran in 1985 stated, quote, The man who had bought the house from Otto's widow died soon thereafter of carbon monoxide poisoning from a faulty exhaust system in his car. Robert vanished soon after, and nobody who now lives in the house has ever heard of him. End quote. I question that, too, because everybody... In Key West, especially natives, like I, I'm, I feel pretty confident that they know about Robert and they know who he is. Oh yeah. Um, so Robert stayed in that house for a long time, and finally he was donated to the East Mortello Museum in 1994. And I have here uh, in this book I'm reading to you. Uh, well, right here I'm looking at the a copy of the record of donation. Um, but I'll read to you a little bit about his when he was finally donated to the East Mortella Museum. It was the morning of August 18, 1994, when former Key West Art and Historical Society Assistant Director Joe Pace, P-A-I-S, I hope I said that right, um, was called from his office at the back of the Fort East Mortella Museum. There was a lady at the front desk wishing to donate an artifact. Joe approached a woman looking to be in her mid-50s, casually dressed as if she had been doing housework. In her arms was a doll, unwrapped and unprotected. Joe recalls that the doll was in good shape. The two headed back to Joe's office, and Myrtle placed the doll in his chair on, de on Joe's desk. This is Robert. He's part of the Otto family. I can't stand him being in my house anymore. Ritter went on to describe how she locked Robert in a room after noticing that he moved on his own. After the incident, she claimed Robert locked her in a room. He's haunted, she told Joe. Joe saw the value in the treasure and suggested she might want to keep it, but Myrtle went into a frenzy. Frenzy. She didn't want to sell it. She didn't want anything in exchange. She wanted it out of her possession. That doll has to leave the house, she insisted. Reuter filled out the necessary paperwork and took off quickly. She died less than three months later. Joe Pais, 
I feel like I'm saying his name wrong. We're trying our best here. If this man ever hears this, I'm so sorry. Uh, Mr. Joe began to make his own discoveries about Robert. He says, quote, I placed him in a small antique chair in my office directly opposite my desk. He seemed comfortable in the chair. I often looked up in his direction, and he always stared back in an unchildlike way. Robert always seemed on the verge of stepping from his chair, and I always got the impression that he had moved his chair a few inches to the left and then back to the right. I chalked a mark at the foot of one of the chair legs to find if he was moving the chair, but cleverly he avoided being caught. Joe shared an office with museum director Susan Olson. Quote, Susan did not like the doll. She worked at night and refused to be in the office if Robert was there. It was hard to tell if the doll was moving or not. We would find it slumped down in its chair. Susan was freaked, so we moved the doll to our artifact storage room. End quote. For the next two years, Robert was only available by appointment, but by mid-1996, a local ghost tour was encouraging guests to pay a visit to the doll. Museum staff was afraid of Robert. Employees would often suggest people come back on a day they were not working or place the responsibility of retrieving Robert on a co-worker. As the number of people requesting time with Robert increased, he was placed on permanent display. Ever since, the public has been able to encounter what those closest to Robert have known all along. Robert is more than a doll. And I would definitely agree. Oh, 100%. With that being said, Taylor and I actually got to go visit Robert the doll. Yes. We were, uh, what was this, about three years ago? 2020, I believe. Um, yeah, it was in 2020, I believe. Because I remember we went down to Florida when it was COVID, during the COVID season. Yep. We originally had a cruise scheduled, and... Thanks to COVID, that cruise got canceled. But I had the time approved off work, and I had already bought non-refundable airfare down to Florida. So I asked Taylor, I'm like, well, we can't go on this cruise, but I say we still go down to Florida. So we decided to go to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. Wait, this was a different member of the time. This time that we went down to Florida, oh, yeah. we no, were, we didn't have, <laughs> no, you're not. We've just been to Florida quite a, blessed to say we've been to Florida quite a few times. Can't get all of our different trips planned out or figured out but anyway this was the trip where we're like we can't afford to go to we wanted to go to halloween horror nights but we didn't have the funds to do that and we definitely didn't have funds to go to disney world so we kind of thought about what we could do down there for a week um and we stayed in orlando and then i just asked taylor i'm like i have always because i first heard of robert when i was in sixth grade and ever since I learned about Robert and that he was on a museum, in a museum, available for people to see him, I had always wanted to go see him. And I knew that he was in Key West, Florida. So I told Taylor, I'm like, we have a week down here. Mm-hmm. And we already had a rented car with unlimited miles. I was like, do you just want to go down to Key West for a day and we can go see Robert? Because I've Which, always wanted to. If nobody knows, uh, from Key, from Orlando to Key West is six hours. One uh, way. One way. Uh, so we decided... That we would drive down, uh, go see Robert, eat some lunch, and drive back a 12-hour trip. Round down trip. And back, round trip. Yep. Um, Worth every hour we spent in the car, though, because oh, yes. going to see Robert was an experience that, well, I mean, like I said earlier, I've always wanted to go see him, but I would just never forget our encounter. So mm-hmm. I started, I don't know about you, but I think maybe at first it was like really feeling really excited because as we were getting into key west which by the way it's just absolutely beautiful it was down so there. gorgeous down there 
I want to go back one day, and not oh, even just for back. Robert, just because it's so pretty down there. But um, I started to get like a a feeling in my stomach, and I think it was excitement at first. But then we pulled up to the East Mortella Museum, and I don't know if it was still excitement, but I told Taylor, I said, I think it would be a good idea if we just said a prayer before we went in. Oh, yeah. And we did. And we went inside. And, and I remember us walking up to that woman that was, and by the way, the, the worker that we ran into that day, I wish I could remember her name. She was so nice. She was so nice. She was amazing. And of course, you know, we walked up to her, and I, we, you know, we just had to ask, like, so is this Robert thing real or is this like something that they used to sell tickets? Yeah, because we wanted to know and we prefer people just like how we are. Just just tell us straight up. Yeah, just be honest with us. And she looked at us she and I'll like, never forget. She goes, oh, it's real. She did. She was like, oh, no, he's real. Oh, she's real. Every night she says, I tell him goodbye and I leave. And then when I come back in the morning, I first thing I do is go tell him good morning. I read him his fan mail. Yes. He gets fan mail. Yes, which I'm going to be reading you a couple of fan letters in this book. But, yeah, she she did. She was telling us all about her routine with Robert. And me and Taylor are, like, looking at each other. We were, like, why would this lady lie to us? But we were both kind of looking at each other like, is it? Is okay, it? you know. And uh, even if you don't want to see Robert, I seriously recommend going seeing this museum. It is full of so much cool it's stuff. really cool. Um, and we're going to be talking about one other topic that we saw yeah. in that museum next. And, but yeah, in just a few minutes. I was really surprised that they had Robert not at the end. They didn't. Usually they save the best thing for last. Robert is not um, at the end. He's actually kind of in the middle, I would say. Um, yeah, he's like right in the middle. Um, but I do remember like we started walking into the museum and then like I started to get – I don't know if I want to say it for sure, but honestly, the first thing that came to my mind is scared. Like, I got you really got scared. I got nervous. You see, I didn't get so. You start walking down this hallway, and you can see Robert about halfway down the hallway. He's yeah. in the middle. And the closer and closer we kept getting to him, there was a slight eer- eerie feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I could say, uh, when we walked into the room. Uh, the first thing I did notice is there are so many post-it notes. And fan, well, not fan, I'm sorry, but visit letters from visitors. I mean, probably thousands of them. Uh-huh. They also had a TV playing that also had letters on it as well. Oh, yeah, like just, it was like a, like if you, back in the early 2000s, if you like went onto um, your pictures on your computer and then hit play and it did that little Windows like sl- yeah. slideshow. It was kind of like that, but they were all excerpts from actual letters that Robert received. Yeah, and most of them were people apologizing to him. So you guys might be wondering, why is this doll getting letters? Well, again, as we've said already, Robert is supernatural. And if you piss Robert off, you're going to get some bad luck brought your way. He definitely does not like disrespect. He does not like disrespect. And I know some of you may be like, rolling your eyes at that but i'm just gonna say i'm not gonna be the one to find that out for sure or not if you are brave enough to go and test that out for yourself to see if it's true or not be my guess but i I, I don't recommend it so one thing about robert when you visit him do not take his picture don't do it not only does your i mean i've just seen account after account from people saying that their camera's blurred up on his pictures they don't come out right the camera dies um 
but he he does not like it. Well, that's best case scenario. Yeah, like, that's best case scenario. He just messes with the picture because I, I and I'll never forget it. If you look at the wall, there's a newspaper clipping. Now it's different if it's one thing where it's you know somebody had you know written it down or anything. This was a newspaper clipping, like in the newspaper in Key Key West, that somebody apparently had come in and disrespected Robert, mm-hmm. and this person got on their motorcycle and pulled out of the parking lot and got hit by a tractor trailer. Right, and we've already talked about some examples from previous owners in the house itself that have had some bouts of bad luck. But that bad luck did not stay contained in that house. It stayed with Robert. So you take his picture and you piss him off, you are probably going to get some crazy bad juju on you. And I and I, I have to say, like, you and me were speaking to him. I spoke to him like a person. Oh, Like, yeah. he was a real person that was sitting in the room with me. Because they say, too, that, like, if you ask permission from Robert, then it's not a big deal. But me, we didn't even oh, try no, that. No, 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 we no. weren't even trying that. Because how are you going to know what the answer is? I, I don't know, but I was I was actually talking to him like I had known him for years, and I was being very respectful. And he also was holding—is it a lion or a dog in his in his hand? I think it's a lion. You think it's a lion? I cannot remember, and I I probably read about it in this book, but I I don't remember touching up on that as I prepared for our podcast. Well, I remember telling him that he looked very good today they, today, and that I liked his his lion, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thanked him for letting us come see him. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I, I just told Robert, you know, we've driven all the way from Virginia to come see you. Thank you for letting us come see you. Um, we don't mean any disrespect. We've, we just wanted to come say hello. And again, I know some people are like, this is ridiculous. Talking to a doll. You, you just, you don't know until you're there. You don't know until you're there. Like, so, like, I... I don't know about you, but when I got in that room, you heard me talk about the kind of gut feeling I had before we got in there. That was nothing compared to how I felt when I was actually in the same room as Robert. I got this huge, just uh, unsettling feeling in my stomach. But the thing is, it wasn't like I, I knew there was a force in Robert. I knew that without a doubt, a strong force with Robert. The thing that I didn't pick up on is if it was good or bad. The best way I could describe it was being in a room. Have you ever been in a room and you don't know what's happened in that room? You know nothing of this room. It could be at a friend's house. could be somewhere else. And you just have a feeling that something bad has happened in that room. Mm -hmm. That was just that entire... The room that Robert was like it was that exact same feeling yeah. of doubt and depression and like I couldn't say it was necessarily focused at me but it was like it really felt like there was somebody in the room sitting with us and I've never felt something like that before not 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 like that yeah I mean it just it's truly something that like we can only try to explain what it was like but until you've had the experience yourself you're probably not going to fully understand what we mean, but... And it was very intimidating being in that room with him. And I remember later that night when we had gotten back, I ended up having nightmares about being in that room with Robert. Oh, like, yeah. I woke up. I, I woke that. up in that hotel, and I just... I remember now. I forgot about that. I had, I had some nightmares about it. Like, he was, like, just being in that room with him, and it was it was so intimidating. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I didn't feel threatened when we were in there. That I just felt a very, like... 
there is a spirit or force very yeah. strongly attached to this doll. I don't, I'm not really getting that it wants to hurt us, but I'm definitely getting I proceed with caution. Yes. And that is why me and Taylor tried to be as respectful as we could. Even if some of you think, well, it's just a creepy doll. There's nothing more to it. We didn't take that chance. Don't don't make don't that assumption that. until you go meet him. Right. I mean, I always believed in Robert being, you know, a a supernatural doll. But I, I got that confirmation when we went to go see him. See, I believe in the paranormal, but I, I didn't believe that Robert was paranormal until I was in the room with him. Yeah. I could really feel it. So, you know, we will leave that up to you guys to decide for yourselves. But coming from... Two people who knew about Robert ahead of time decided to go find it out for themselves. We are now convinced Robert is a supernatural entity. And also while we were down there, we also took the opportunity to drive by the house that Robert lived in. And we got to see the window that apparently he was uh, looking at the outside outside people at. Yeah. And uh, it looked normal. Like I didn't get vibes. I think now now it's like a... Kind of like a hotel. Really? Would you be brave enough if we went back to Key West? Yeah, right I could because, again, do? I don't think it was Robert. I, don't, I mean, I don't it was, think it, it was the house. It wasn't the house. It was Robert. It was Robert that made that house like that. Well, if we ever decide to get back there, we'll spend a night there and we'll let you guys know about the house. And if you guys are interested, please look up pictures of Robert and the house that he lived in. Uh, and if you ever decide, you know... You know, I want to go see this doll, or you happen just to be in the Key West area. Seriously, stop by that museum. To that museum, it is absolutely amazing. Totally, like I ten stars in my opinion. Amazing, really cool, amazing uh, museum. So, guys, it's up to you to decide: is Robert for real, or is he not? That again, like we've said, is something for you to decide on your own account. But we can absolutely certifiably say Robert is real. Oh, he's real. Let me end Robert by reading a couple of letters that he has received from people who have visited him. Oh, that, I think that's the best way to end this. Dear Robert, could someone please read this aloud to Robert? Hello, Robert. In early September of last year, 2011, my family and I visited you in Key West for the holiday weekend. We heard stories of you and decided to pay our respects to you on our way out of town. We asked for your permission to take your picture, and nothing strange happened. And although we didn't voice our doubts out loud, perhaps you could sense that we were not real believers in you and your powers. Well, it has been almost six to seven months since our visit, and since then my life has been one nightmare after another. Within a couple weeks of returning home, it started with my kitten suddenly dying, my bank account being fraudulently used twice, losing a substantial amount of money, having my bird die, my son falling and fracturing his skull, the hotel we stayed at on vacation set on fire, lost my job, and now on the verge of being laid off of my new job, being forced out of my home, and my husband and I have separated. I've been debating on writing this letter for weeks, but I'm now at the point where I'm desperate. I truly believe in you and the powers you possess, and kindly ask that you remove anything negative surrounding me and my family, and give us your blessings. I've also removed the pictures that I have taken of you from Facebook. Yeah, um, I don't know why someone would go through the effort of lying about that. And there's lots and there's, of other ones there's, like it. There's hundreds of those on the walls. Oh, yeah. Like that. And here's just one more in case. I know you guys wanted to hear just one more. Dear Robert, 
I'm writing to apologize to you for taking so many pictures without asking for your permission when I was there in May. I'm sorry for not believing and for acting so brazen. Please forgive me. Traveling has been trying since we were there three months ago. Of course, we had flight delays on our way home. My business travel had troubles as well. Also, my sister's car broke down on the way to our family reunion, and someone stole one of her bikes from the bike rack. She was a day late showing up. KB totaled her car about a month ago. A week later, she fell and broke six ribs. She became addicted to the pain medication and was on for 10 days and had to go through terrible withdrawals. I've just been told that I'm going to be laid off from the new job I just had started when we visited. Many other bad things have happened since that day. I don't know if you're behind them. I ask that you accept my heartfelt apology and refrain from any further negative actions and to please remove any harmful spells that may have been cast. So if you go visit Robert, be respectful, people. Oh, please. Thank you guys for staying with us to talk about Robert for, goodness gracious, almost an hour-ish. But now we're going to just take a quick little break. Um... And we will be back momentarily. Take a walk on the inside. Do you enjoy supporting local businesses? I know I do. I do too. And I hope that your answer is yes as well. Um, so we wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about some local businesses that we both love. And we hope that... Maybe if you enjoy supporting local businesses too, you might give them a check out. So our first business that we will be discussing is Sugar and Flour. Oh, delicious. So um, I actually used to work with her years ago when I was a home health aide. And from that time, she I knew she always loved to bake. Like that was her talent. That's what she loved to do. And I remember even back then she'd always said that she wanted to own her own shop. Excuse me. Have her own business someday, and sure enough, that is what she did in the height of COVID, no less. Um, she is located here in Parisburg, right downtown. Her business is Sugar and Flour, and let me just tell you, her stuff is mm. Mm, it's so good. She makes things like cold brews, frappuccinos. She's actually, she told me last time I saw her that recently she's going to add. Uh, smoothies to the menu she has teas she does wraps uh she does sometimes she'll have mac and cheese any delicious treats that your heart desires oh Oh, yes so like she has her lunch menus breakfast menus and they vary day to day but she also has pastries like at all times and oh my gosh uh personal recommendation the uh salted caramel ice brew that's Taylor's favorite. That is absolutely my favorite. I really love the chocolate strawberry cold, chocolate covered strawberry cold brew, but that's seasonal. But it's so good. She uh, also has a caramel frappuccino. I get that one like any other time. So good. Um, pastry wise, she has things from puppy chow, rice krispie treats, uh, cookies, muffins, j- cookie cakes. Which are, oh my gosh, my mouth. I'm just salivating just talking about it. So. Yeah, guys. Um, she also she does a uh, special hours sometimes too. But she has a Facebook page, Sugar and Flour, spelled F L O U R, not flowers and the plant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And our other business that we want to talk about is Grace Upon Grace. Um, that is a business that 
my coworkers, Olivia and Morgan, have started up on their own. Um, they have their own Facebook page, but they're basically kind of like a like a a boutique from home type of place. But I have bought products off them before, and I just I love their stuff. Their most popular item, I would say, are car freshies. So they can make a mold of like anything that you would want. Um, you know, given if they have it in stock, and you know if they don't. They might be able to order one and get it from there. But the scents are like, the list is like the length of an essay, like a five-page essay, it seemed like. They have like any scent that you could possibly think of. There was one scent that even stood out to me when I was looking at her list. It's called Monkey Farts. (laughs) I haven't been brave enough to try that scent yet, but I hear it smells good. But Taylor and I have gotten the um, fresh linen scent and the uh, freshly brewed coffee scent, and they just really good but they also do stuff like earrings and recently they've had clothing that they've been selling too which i should have a sweater coming soon uh yeah they they are awesome they might eventually if you're interested in like their stuff they may possibly in the future be giving discounts if you use a special promo code which to be posted on that but yeah Go check them out on Facebook, Grace Upon Grace Creations on Facebook. I will also post their link in our description. I'll also post the link for Sugar and Flour in our description. So thanks for hearing our uh, couple minutes for shout-outs for local businesses. If you have a local business that you'd like us to discuss, send us an email and let us know. We only talk about businesses that we have firsthand got experience from. So you know that these aren't just, we're not getting paid to talk about these businesses. Like, you know, it's coming from the heart. But anyway, yeah. So, further note than that, let's get back to it. Take a walk on the inside. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that little ad break, and we hope you enjoyed listening about Robert. But now it's time to get into our second larger topic on this episode, Mr. Carl Tansler. So, Taylor... When you hear the word necrophiliac, what do you think of? Like, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Constipation. Well, I think you would be a, a, a special <laughs> example for that. Um, now, since I know what the word is, uh, I do know, obviously, the first thing that pops into my head is somebody that is a little messed up in the head. Now, that's fair. Uh, very messed up in the head. For anybody that doesn't know what a necrophiliac is. That is somebody that likes to have... uh, Sexual relations. Yes, with dead bodies. Yeah, it's pretty morbid. So the first thing that I think of when I hear the word necrophiliac, I think of Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein. Those are the first two things I think of when I hear the word necrophiliac. Hmm. Like, I don't think Ed Gein, like, had sexual interrelations with dead bodies, but... Did Jeffrey Dahmer? Yes. Oh, really? Yes, he did. Um, but Ed Gein also was, he was a grave robber. And uh-huh. he did really disturbing things with dead bodies. I don't know if it's necessarily sexual. But anyway. Okay. What do Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein both have in common? They both are uh, psychopaths and uh, serial killers. Correct. Correct. Although, there's question on whether Ed Gein really was a serial killer or not because he only murdered one live person. Anyway, that's getting all technical. Um, yes. So, Carl Tanzler was a necrophiliac, but he wasn't a serial killer, though. Matter of fact, I don't think he murdered anybody in his life. This makes it all the more difference. Um, 
I will be reading uh, an excerpt from another book, two books that I have from Carl Tanzler. One of them is called Undying Love by Ben Harrison, and the other one is written by Mr. Carl Tanzler himself. It's called The Lost Diary of Count Von Kossel. Um, like I said, that this uh, diary is written by him, so... Anything I read out of the diary comes from Mr. Carl Tanzler himself. Um, Just very, very disturbing stuff. I think we can all agree with that. Um, Basically, Carl Tanzler was a man who I think was disturbed from the very beginning. Um, I will start off by discussing his accounts of when he was younger, having this kind of vision. And you can just kind of see for yourself, like, off the bat. Um, So, although, I'm not going to be starting when Carl Tanzler is a young child. I will be starting off by this vision that he had. And it's very, very um, imperative to understand this. So we can understand how he got from point A to point B. From his diary, it says... I was born in Dresden, Germany, in the townhouse of our family called the Castle. But there was another castle, the Villa Castle, out in the country, and it was there I grew up. This latter manor had the reputation to be a haunted house, and the white woman, whom my mother told me had appeared from time to time during the past two centuries, was supposed to be my ancestor, the Countess Castle, who died in 1765. Hers is quite romantic history. Moreover, since her apparition to me was the beginning of my relationship to Elena. I will briefly narrate her story. In the Rocco age, when August was strong, who became king of Poland, ruled over Saxony, the young Countess Castle was one of the most celebrated beauties in this notoriously licentious court. She actually was the king's bride, as recorded. Family documents seem to prove that she was engaged to marry the young king. At the very height of her beauty, and at the point of becoming a queen, she fell in disfavor through the machination of some Polish countess for reason of jealousy. August the Strong exiled my ancestor from his court and made her a captive for life at the gloomy fortress of Stolpen, because she refused to return the certificate. For almost half a century, she lived there in solitude, which, toward the end of her life, impaired her sanity. For decades, however, she was able to find new interest in life through the pursuit of alchemy, the hobby of the learned and the noble in those times. As a young man, I went to see the fortress of Stolpen, once headquarters of Napoleon, where the living quarters and the laboratory equipment of my ancestor were well preserved. Being a chemist and physicist myself, I can witness to the fact that the that she must have conducted her experiments with great intelligence, even if her quest for the stone of the wise was vain. Family tradition has it that her knowledge in chemistry enabled her to ward off several attempts of her, on her life through poisoning. As a young boy, however, I had no interest in the family tree and the existence of a ghost in the manor was never mentioned to me nor entertained. True enough, at the age of twelve, I had a dream, or rather a vision, of a very beautiful girl in a white dress reclining on a rococo settee, I probably butchered that, (laughs) which I painted on a piece of paper then. My boyish interests were, however, entirely concentrated on electricity, on chemical experiments, and on flying machines, astronomy, in fact, on all phenomena of the universe. While still in high school, fascinated by the saga of the flying Valkyries, I built myself a glider plane. 
I tested this contraption from a hill in the park, but then the giggling of the maids embarrassed me so that I continued flying experiments only after midnight to the alarm of the superstitious dogs of the peasantry. Mr. Tansler then begins to talk a little bit more about what he's into when he's younger, things of that nature. Um, but he eventually starts talking about how he starts to see this woman as he goes to this castle. And he describes it as being, like, the most beautiful thing he has ever seen in his life. Um, I'm trying to find the excerpt where he talks about it so that I'm telling you accurately in his words. Um, but it's just very, very odd things. So see, he sees a vision of a woman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to look, so I'm telling you accurately from himself. Okay, so yeah, he keeps describing, like, odd incidents, like, with his things getting moved and this ghost coming to see him, and then it just progresses to, like, getting an actual visitation from her. He writes, In the third night, however, I was mysteriously awakened around 2 a.m. I hardly believed my eyes. There were, however, standing by my bed, two women, one banding over my face, a tall lady with snow-white hair, striking likeness to the portrait of the Countess Anna, which I remembered so well. The second figure kept somewhat behind her, as if trying to hide, and the Countess held the reluctant younger lady by the hand. Bending still lower and staring at me, the Countess, Countess Anna addressed me as follows. I've been trying to attract your attention for quite some time, my boy, but you wouldn't take note. You were too much engrossed in your experiments. That's why I had to use some violence. Now take warning. Do not entangle yourself with the woman represented on the Judith picture. Don't get ensnared by her. She isn't the one who is destined for you. Look here, Carl. I have brought you the bride whom some day you will meet. I tried to answer something, but I could not speak. I had plenty of words, but I could not open my jaws. The countess now stepped a little aside, and at the same time she drew her companion nearer to me. For a very brief moment, the veil parted from the shrouded figure's face. Spellbound, I saw, framed in long, dark, black tresses, a young girl's face, so beautiful I can't attempt to describe it. For a fleeting second, I saw the girl smile at me, a wonderful smile, but at that moment the Countess Anna detached herself from my arm, which she had touched, and the apparition quite suddenly disappeared. This was the encounter that I was trying to find for you guys to read directly, but according to Carl... He got visited by this ghost, and in this encounter, she brought another ghost with her. And the beauty from this ghost just just left an impact on him. Really? Yeah. So, like, I don't know about you, but how would you feel if something like this happened to you? If I saw a beautiful woman in my dreams? <laughs> if you were visited by a beautiful ghost. Well, that would definitely would stick with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> right? Yeah. And apparently it did to Carl, too. So, um, he came to us from Germany in 1926. He moved over here when he was 49 years old. When he came over here, he left his wife and two daughters that he had already established. He moved over here. And kind of making he, him have the rep of being a jerk a little bit. He left him? Yeah. <laughs> like, he just hopped in and said, see ya, and headed on out, did his own thing. And he went to go work in this hospital where he met Miss Elena Milagros Hoyos. I probably, again, butchered her name. but um, way better than I would have. Well, we, thank you. Well, she's called Elena, but that's just her full name. And he met her at the Marine Hospital. 
What was she doing at the hospital? Well, Miss Elena was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Ooh. And as we all know, back then, that was a very deadly disease. That was pretty much a death sentence if you got, you know, diagnosed with that back then. Uh, Essentially, yeah. Like, if you, it's just, you know, of course, this is back in the time, this is early 1900s. Technology today is not what it is now. Um, Yeah, it's, it's definitely, if you got diagnosed with that back then, you were pretty much a goner. Oh, yeah. So when he met Elena, she was 21 to 22 years old, somewhere within that time. And sorry for the bumps. I keep hitting this microphone by accident. <laughs> so um, I will be reading directly from Carl Tanzler himself. He writes, I saw her the very next day when she came in for more tests, and this time I took a radiograph of her lungs, which brought me the painful revelation that she was suffering from tuberculosis. From the frailty of her figure, from the listlessness with which she sat, I suspected that much from the very first day. The certainty which now was gained increased my worries because our hospital was not adequately equipped for the treatment of lung tuberculosis, yet some way had to be found to help her. Fierce determination to aid her to bring her back to health was burning in my soul. Both Elena and her mother could not fail to observe my deepest interest in her case. They invited me to the family home, and needless to say, to say, I went there that very evening. It was a very small, dilapidated home to which I came. The family was poor. Elena's father worked in a tobacco factory. There were two sisters, both very different from Elena. Her mother, a good-hearted, if simple woman, and numbers of young people of all ages, whose relationship to the family I could never ascertain. Elena, sitting very quietly and obviously feeling far from well in a kitchen in the chair, shone like the sun amongst all these lesser human stars. Days later, I went again to her house in order to take a blood test. This time, I was led by her mother into her room. There, to my utter surprise and joy, I discovered hanging over her bed a picture of St. Cecilia playing the organ, the same St. Cecilia to whom I had brought roses in the catacombs of Rome, still treating me as if I were a teacher, which I indeed was, and she was my little girl. Sorry, excuse me, little pupil, Elena said. That's St. Cecilia, sir. Yes, and you know, Elena, she's my guardian angel, and this is the first time that I've seen her picture here in America. We too, said Elena, are not Americans. We came from Cuba several years ago. As in a blinding revelation, I now have the explanation for the spell under which I had watched the carnival in Havana four years ago, and I also had won the certainty that it was my guardian angel, St. Cecilia, who had brought me and Elena together. Interrupting this for a second, remember what I previously described from his entry in his diary when he was younger being visited by the ghost all this inner happiness notwithstanding my worries as a doctor mounted steadily since our hospital lacked the equipment i wished to use for elena and moreover i considered the florida climate as unfavorable for her condition i proposed to send her at my own expense of course to some fab famous tuberculosis institution fabulous probably would have been a fitting word too abroad where i was reasonably certain she would be cured this offer she refused because, in the first place, with the euphoria so typical with tuberculosis patients, she did not realize the seriousness of her condition. This left me only one choice. I had to procure at least the electrical equipment to treat her right on the spot. I wrote to the several firms from my necessary apparatus, and some of it I started building myself. In the meantime, I decided to give her radiation therapy with the hospital equipment, although the service outfit was not powerful enough for deep radiation therapy. Whatever was left of my spare time, I spent on the completion of an airplane I had started to construct some time ago. So already you can kind of see, Carl has found this woman and come into the hospital that he's working at. 
And he immediately becomes really attached to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Elena does unfortunately pass away of tuberculosis. As we can see from that um, other entry I just read, he's trying in vain to do everything he can to save her. Like it goes to the point where it goes like overboard with what he should be doing. I mean, he offered to pay for all that stuff with his own expense. Oh, yeah. Just to save her life. Oh, yeah. And that's just, like, while she's still alive. So, obviously, since he's gone so overboard and, honestly, a bit inappropriate with this, he ends up getting fired from that hospital. But Well, that's not a shocker. Yeah, no shocker there. But he still doesn't give up on Elena, even after she dies. So Something, by the way, you said that tells me we're about to go into a dark turn. Yeah, I do want to give a trigger warning to people out there. We're getting ready to get really graphic in some of what we're talking about here. Because, once again, I'm going back into these diaries and reading word for word from Carl what some of what goes on. I mean, basically, the family um, doesn't have a lot of money when Elena dies. And... Carl just can't stand the thought of her being buried, you know, having like a traditional burial. So with his own money, he builds her a mausoleum just for her. Now that can't be cheap. No. Oh no. Like I can only imagine like back then what it cost. Like even now it'd be my God. Like. And I bet you just said they were, were they poor? Yeah. The family was poor. So when Carl offered to build his a known mausoleum of course the family accepted that they thought at this point they didn't realize i bet they thought wow what a nice guy yeah (laughs) i think at this point they didn't realize that carl had kind of a basically an obsession with her yeah but they just thought he was a nice guy man this guy really put all this effort into trying to save my daughter and now he's offering to pay for her funeral yeah and give her all these nice things so they accepted and so carl had this thing built Ironically, he was the only one who was allowed to have a key to it. So the family didn't get a key? The family did not get a key. Obviously, at first, he let them visit anytime they wanted to, yada yada. But Carl started visiting Miss Elena even after she was deceased. And he would go to this mausoleum and he would talk to her like she was alive. And he would just woe her with these romantic thoughts and you know, these compliments on her appearance and, you know, he would eventually get to all the love of my life, my love. And, you know, it's very, very disturbing. So this 49 year old man is talking to this 21 year old dead girl in her mausoleum. Yes, absolutely. Like, and and again, nobody knew this, this was going on. Um, it was highly inappropriate, uh, obviously. And he would um, also open up her casket and stuff, too, when he would be talking to her. So he was also looking at her corpse, declaring his love for her still. It's just very strange. It's like he had this... I mean, honey, I love you, but if you're dead, you're dead. I mean, I'm dead. (laughs) Um, You know, I could not stand the thought of, you know, living or spending my life without you. But if you're dead, you're dead. I'm not going to be going and opening up your casket and declaring my love for you. And, uh, I mean, some people do that. I mean, I'm not trying to bash them or anything, but, uh, the difference between this, if you were really married to that person, that's one thing, you know, because I know there are people out there that actually did end up burying their significant other and they do actually stay with them because they love them that much. But keep in mind, 
he didn't know her. Yeah, she was a complete random stranger. That he just met. Yeah. In the tuberculosis ward of all things. Yeah. So, obviously, people start to catch on that he's going into this mausoleum at all hours of the night, going in there often. So, some people start talking. Yeah. And so, then at this point, he realizes, well, nah, I, I can't be doing this anymore. I got to get her out of here. Bring her to me. So, basically, he takes her corpse out of the mausoleum. Oh, my God. And he takes her to his house. Oh, wait. How long did he, how long had she been dead before she, he did that? Um, Again, I, I didn't study it too well to, to, um, for a discussion for this podcast. But, I mean, she, she'd been dead a while. Are like, we talking months, years, months? months? I, we're talking months. Ooh. Yeah. So... Trigger warning, guys. I'm going to be reading an excerpt from his diary that describes when he transports Elena from the mausoleum to his house. Okay, so Carl gets like a wagon to transport her corpse. And he grabs it, puts it on this wagon. So this man can afford to do a mausoleum, but he can't find something better to transport her body in other than a wagon? That is an excellent freaking point. <laughs> yes. So he gets her onto this wagon, and then he's dragging her across the graveyard, and then he gets to this fence. He says, At last we arrived and had to halt. The cart could go no farther. Here on this spot, the whole beautiful vision disappeared. The coffin had to be lifted off the wagon. I had to carry it in my arms to the fence and put it down in the grass on the other side. This brought me to within a few feet of my open window. The coffin was now under the window, resting in the grass. I also rested for a few minutes to gather strength for my last great effort. Meanwhile, I removed the cart and things to safety. Nothing was to be left around to tell the tale. I drew my dark blanket across the window sill, with one end hanging out over the top of the wooden fence, to muffle any noise. Everything was ready now for the final lift, namely the raising of the head end, which was the heaviest, slowly up until it stood near the height of the window. This succeeded well. It stood Elena's body um, inside almost to an upright position, but this could not be avoided for just a few seconds. Then I lifted the coffin midway high above my shoulders and head high enough so that it would clear the fence and blanket and pushed it toward the open window. My back was toward the fence. Suddenly, the ground beneath my feet gave way. I lost my balance. It was as if all my strength had left me then. The whole load came down on my head. I crumbled under it and fell with the coffin lying on top of me, but my hands, still clamp-like, held onto my precious load. I don't even like how that sounded. This meant a tragedy if my strength would not return to me. The fallen casket had squashed my new black felt hat on my head, pinning me down. Quickly realizing the danger that threatened and, breath and breathing heavily, I summoned all of my remaining strength. It must have been more. It must have been supernatural strength which flowed through me. My own had all been exhausted. Again, I tried lifting the casket slowly high above my head. Rising up and with my back pressed hard against the fence, I pushed the heavy end of the casket inside the window. There, it now rested safely, while the foot end still pointed out into the cemetery. For a while, I rested, unable to move a limb, but thanking all of the good souls and angels from the bottom of my heart, I did not realize it yet, but my head and hair was dripping and saturated with sweat and blood. Also, my hands, sleeves, shirt, and coat and trousers were likewise wet and sticky. It soon began to smell, however, strong and obnoxious. This woke me up and warned me that there was something wrong. I soon discovered that the bottom valve of the coffin above me, underneath the foot end, had fallen out. 
I suppose, from contact with the top edge of the fence, and I still felt something dripping on my hand and shirt, running down my neck and over the woolen blanket, hanging over the fence against which I was leaning. As the powerful odor was quickly spreading, the dogs in the neighborhood began barking. I raised myself up to go inside the house and then pull in the, the casket. Locking the door and lifting the coffin and blanket carefully on the floor, I tilted it in such a way as to prevent any more liquid from flowing out. I then plugged the hole up tightly with cotton. So I'm going to stop there because you can kind of... That's getting pretty graphic. Out of, you know, I read a couple books. Now, I did read this whole book in length, but out of anything that I've read in this book, that part always stood out to me. Like, I always remembered that part. It's just, it was disturbing to That's me. Nasty. Exactly. <laughs> That's nasty. That's nasty. It's absolutely disgusting. Um, and honey, I love you, but, excuse me. Maybe, um, I guess maybe he loved uh, her more than you loved me. I, I guess. guess. I guess. I guess. Because I love you, but I ain't going to have your decaying dead corpse juices juices all over me. Oh my gosh. Just, uh yeah. So what happened when he got her in the house? So when he got her into the house, essentially Carl Tanzler made Elena his bride. How how did he do that? He basically just constantly reconstructed the corpse. And he did things with the corpse as well. How could you reconstruct it? Carl writes... It was her resurrection indeed, when divine, lovely, has gently lifted my bride from the grave. How sweet she still was, even though some of the ravages of 18 months in the grave had not yet been removed. So it was a year and a half? Yeah, at this point, it's a year and a half. Now, I skipped ahead a little bit after he does the transport of the body. Okay, okay. She's been in the house for a little bit of time, but this is a year and a half corpse that we are talking about. I want, I washed her frequently with perfume soap and spirits of wine, and still losing many bits of clothing from her body. Her beautiful hair also needed plenty of washing, as it was still partly glued together into her scalp. By further examination, I was not surprised to discover small maggots of the gnat larva type, which were feeding on blood around her head and ears and on the surface of the abdomen. I removed them easily with phenol solution. The surface of the stomach region and the lower abdomen was partly damaged and lacerated. I treated it with healing lotions and sterile packing, just like living tissue. I also bandaged. Excuse me. See, this is already. Just, I also bandaged up toes, feet, and fingers as they had badly suffered in the soil and threatened disintegration. I moistened these bandages with formalin to arrest further decay for the present. I did not find any bad discharges. There was no putrefaction anywhere on the body, although parts of it showed indication of losing binding element of tissues i also found deficiency of alkaline elements which had been used up by the cells i applied a fine powder all over the moist surface of the body supplementing the lost calcium and sodium neutralizing the skin to some extent leaving it nice and dry and almost free from acid of course i avoided any corrosives alone and other mordants on her instead i prepared solutions of a nourishing character with ingredients like olive oil or glycerin, and others I wish to keep secret. So while you were reading that, you know what my first thought was? What? So this guy literally made her into a living doll. Like He's he literally trying to put her back together. Like, he, he is. There's also another um, point in the, in the uh, excuse me, in his diary that I wanted to read as well. Now, this is 
previously. So, like, this is from when she was still in the mausoleum. Uh He also writes, After all the customary sanitary precautions had been taken, I opened the seals of the vault for which I had held the key. The inner coffin, much damaged, became visible. Together we slid it out and set it on the concrete floor. Um, I'm not sure. I think he's talking about his mother. Sorry, Elena's mother. The opening to of the lid gave us considerable trouble owing to the demolished boards lying outside on the body and because its lining inside had become attached to Elena's face and body. Through careful work, I was able to cut away this silken lining from the lid. The contents were now laid bare. As the first step, I sprayed diluted formalin all over the shrouded body in ample quantities. This was for disinfection and also to harden the body tissues before we undertook to detach from the skin the drapery which had become glued on it. Decay had set in in a most disheartening manner. Only with the greatest care was I able to peel the pieces of textile from the body. This took hours. We then lifted the body out of the coffin and laid it on a table with a clean sheet. Having sprayed the body all over again, I now proceeded to sponge her face with a specially prepared solution and also her hands and feet. With dismay, I discovered that in view of the damage already done, much more cleaning was required than could be done in the one night I had the morgue at my disposal. Till dawn, I worked with every energy, appalled at the negligence of the mortician who had failed to embalm the coffin itself, which would have prevented much of the decay, because it was the coffin which smelled awful, not the body. So, even just reading that part right there, it probably wasn't her mom, because I find it very hard for her mom to be okay with taking her corpse out of the coffin. Well, this was a different time. I mean, but, I mean it, it could have been. I don't know. Oh, it could have been. I meant to read that earlier, but that I wanted to mention that. So that's like kind of how it started. But the passage we le- that we read just before that, yeah, that's how that's how far we got into it. I have so many questions right now. Like the biggest one I'm thinking of is so if he took her out, right? Mm-hmm. How does her family not notice? Because like they obviously loved her too. They would come visit her. Well, eventually, that's how this whole thing came to an end. Again, it's been a while since I've read this book from start to finish and preparing for our podcast. I kind of just kind of skimmed throughout for um, looking for parts in particular that stood out to me. Uh But her parents did eventually find out. Like people in the community were picking up on this and they finally told her parents and her parents at this point, they were like, okay, I think they got the police involved at this point and everything. And I think it was the police who came into Carl's home and then finally found Elena. I mean, again, this year and a half court year old corpse just i mean he's completely like he ended up like i read the excerpts on there but he basically made like paper mache like skin on her and then i i probably read it in that book but i might have seen it in a documentary like he even made like a a makeshift vagina and was having sex with elena and her corpse can you imagine how hard that would be on her family exactly. not to not only know that your daughter died of tuberculosis but that also this guy that you thought well maybe was just trying to do really nice things for you was really defiling your daughter's corpse like yeah i can't imagine what they were going through like i can't either because that's just it's so so disrespectful like obviously carl wasn't thinking about that he was being selfish this is this ghost that visited me when i was 12 years old and told me that she would be my bride this is her reading this is her now how do you know that she's dead now that's what i'm saying like that's why he refused to let elena go because he really felt like she was that ghost that visited him so obviously like they had to charge him right like obviously like something. i think he ended up yeah he did end up getting charged with something but after grave robbery maybe 
defamation of corpse, maybe. Again, this might, uh, I didn't prepare well enough to figure out what his exact charge He had to. He got in trouble. But what ended up happening, they finally, the police came, caught every, caught Elena in his house. And then all of it came out. I guess, obviously, the diaries, they found the diaries because that's just what I was reading from. So there's the evidence right there. Ended up, sadly, they had to finally take Elena and just bury her in an unmarked grave so that Carl or anyone else could come and dig her back up. I mean, it's just so sad. That is sad. Um, And, yeah, that's uh, essentially the story of Carl Tanzler. I do highly recommend, since I didn't really go over, like, a, a, a very in-depth narrative of Carl, Kendall Ray on YouTube does a very good, um, I think it's around 20 to 30 minutes, talking, like, from narrative format of Carl, uh-huh. you know, where he came from, the crimes more in-depth. And all that stuff. What happened to Carl after all that? Did he eventually just died. Um, as far as I know, like, did he ever find anyone else? No, I hope he not. never. He never found anybody else. Never. He spent the rest of his days being obsessed with Elena. Like he obviously, since they moved her corpse to an unmarked grave, he couldn't go dig her up again. But like he still stayed madly in love with her to the day he died. Wow! And he had a wife and kids. He and- had a wife and two kids, and he. Completely chose to push them off to the side and obsess. Wait, I thought in your book that she took him back. I think at one point um, he did try to come back and that they that she might have taken him back. But I didn't want to, like, confuse our listeners by mentioning that or anything. So, like... I, I just... Right, I, that's what I thought. I couldn't yeah, remember I think it happened at some point. Like I said, Kendall Ray, K-E-N-D-A-L-L-R-A-E. She does, just type in Kendall Ray Carl Tanzler. She does such a good job of describing, like, everything more in depth than what I did. And, and, the, and the reason that we wanted to do these two together was because one of uh, the things that we saw in that museum that we went to that also had Robert was his tombstone. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually um, Elena's. Oh, was it Elena's? It was Elena's. Oh, my bad. It was just, it's okay. It was just the tombstone head, though. Like, obviously. The, and it it was right after Robert, too. Like, directly. The room right after Robert. But, yeah. And it was, like, so surreal seeing that in real life. Like, I couldn't believe that we were actually looking at Elena's tombstone. Just, wow. It's It's very disturbing and... And spooky stuff. That's such a sad story, but... It really is. I mean, not only for Elena's sake, but in a a messed up way, kind of for Carl, too. I mean, I don't really feel sorry for him, but you got obsessed with something, and then you felt like you almost had it, and then it got snatched from you. I feel bad for his kids. Like, his kids... Yeah. Knowing that your dad did those horrible things, like, I would want nothing. Like, I would want no association. No offense, dad, if you're listening, but if you were a necrophiliac and you got charged with something, I I wouldn't, Uh, I would not want people to know that, like, no offense. It's just, it's a sad story all around, but also one very disturbing. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, thanks for hanging out with us for like an hour and a half and listening to us talk about all this spooky stuff. I hope none of it was too uh, disgusting for you, babe. You know, that's, it was a fair that's life. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is our first full episode. Uh, I don't know if all our episodes will be quite this long. Um, so that's just a warning. And also, like, until we kind of get our groove going a little bit better, we probably will be uploading a new episode once bi-weekly. <laughs> so um, that might change down the road, but... That's where we'll hang out for now. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to share, subscribe to our YouTube page. Um, we are in the process now of trying to expand our platforms. We'll keep you guys updated on that along the way. And if you have any suggestions for topics that you would like for us to discover within our range, oh, please please email us up us at williamsweirdsidepodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, you stay spooky and stay weird. Stay weird, everybody. And I'm Hannah. And I'm Taylor. And we are Weird Side Podcast. Podcast.